the Read to Lead podcast, episode 17. Hi, I'm Ken Davis, author, speaker, comedian. You know, I tell people I'm not right. I never have been right. I never will be right. But I know one thing that's right. Listening to this podcast, Read to Lead with Jeff Brown. I want to know that at the end of my life, I can point to the sum total of my efforts on this earth and I can say, yes, that represents me. I don't want to take my best work to my grave with me. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever important reading list, but also bring you key insights and value feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now, here's Jeff. Welcome back to the podcast designed to help you develop a more intentional and consistent reading habit because reading is essential to both your success in business and in life. We'll sit down with another successful and inspiring author this week. We'll talk about his latest book, but also his thoughts on leadership, personal development, career, business, marketing, and entrepreneurship. That author this week is Todd Henry, author of the book, Die Empty, Unleash Your Best Work Every Day. We'll talk about the seven sins of mediocrity and how to avoid them. We'll learn how to define our battles and what it means to be fiercely curious, among other things. But first, this episode brought to you by Brown Nose Media. That's Brown, K-N-O-W-S, Media. Brown Nose Media builds mobile apps and websites specifically for small to medium-sized businesses. If it's time for a new website, maybe you don't even have a website yet for your business, or you're looking to branch out into mobile marketing, Brown News Media can help. They can not only build you a great site or mobile app, but just as importantly, they'll give you the tools you need down the road to make the changes and additions that you need to make when you need to make them. In other words, they put you in control. During the month of October, you can get $200 off the setup and design fee of your mobile app or $500 off the cost of your website build when you mention the Read to Lead podcast. To find out more, visit brownnosemedia.com. That's brown, K-N-O-W-S, media.com. Todd Henry is the founder and CEO of Accidental Creative, a consultancy that helps organizations generate brilliant ideas. He's the author of The Accidental Creative and hosts a top business podcast of the same name. He's a sought-after speaker, consultant, and coach, lives in Cincinnati with his family. And he's also the author of a brand new book called Die Empty, Unleash Your Best Work Every Day, a book that Seth Godin calls one of the best books of the year. Todd, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks, Jeff. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, first of all, I have to ask if you're an NFL fan. <laughs> well, I am. I'm a reluctant NFL fan. Living in Cincinnati, I have to say it's been a pretty tough run uh, for the Cincinnati Bengals. But yes, I am an NFL fan. Well, I, I asked that today only because uh, your team beat an undefeated team yesterday. You got to feel pretty good about that. <laughs> I do. I do. But the problem is that it's so inconsistent one week <laughs> to the next. You know, the I mean, the Bengals will, will play very inconsistently. But it looks like we're on the upswing, which is great. Let's just dive right into your book, Die Empty, a book that I'm about uh, three-fourths of the way through and loving. I can't remember, Todd, the last time I wrote so much in the margins. I've got colored tab after colored tab. I've got oh. post-it notes throughout the book, uh, th things I want to tweet about uh, when we're done. I'm um, all kinds of stuff. I can't remember the last time I've spent this much time marking up a book. So thank you for that. 
Oh, thank you. That's it's really good to hear because you know, as as a writer, one of the things that you really aspire to is that people will not just necessarily just uh, interact with your ideas, but will actually process them and apply them. And that's really the kind of book I wanted to write with Die Empty. Is not just a book you could breeze through and say, "Okay, that was good." What what's next? But you really have to stop and think and process. So it's encouraging to hear that that you're finding it to be that kind of book. And it's like you say with 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 your speaking engagements, we 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 need more than just inspiration. It's important to have application along That's with right. that. And I, I think your book does a great job of helping us apply these concepts. Oh, thank you. It's it's definitely the result of long uh, and painful uh, and uh, internalized processing. Uh, you know, of of working with organizations and and learning from their failures and their successes, and also individually as a leader and as as a, a creative, learning from from uh, successes and failures failures as well. So, if you feel the uh, the pathos in the writing, <laughs> it's because I've made a lot of mistakes along the way, as as we all have. But um, you know, I've I've fortunately been able to. Ex, uh, excavate some of the learnings from that and then put them out there for consumption. Well, one of the things I did when I launched this podcast was do an introductory episode where I talked about what what it is and what it isn't. And, and mm-hmm. similarly, you do that with Die Empty. And I want to frame the conversation with this and talk about when you say that phrase, what does it mean and what does it not mean? So we're all on the same page. Yeah. So the word, the phrase die empty, you know, so people hear that phrase die empty and sometimes they might be tempted to think that it's about completely spending yourself every day, getting wringing out every ounce of energy that you have. And if you don't lay down completely exhausted every night, you're, you're doing something wrong. That couldn't be further from the truth. That's not what I mean by the phrase die empty. What I mean is this, are you, ta- are you right now as you're building a body of work? Because we, we all are building a body of work, Jeff. Every single one of us every day, we're building a body of work. And someday that body of work will stand as a testament to what we really cared about. No matter what we say, what, where we actually choose to put our focus, our assets, our time, our energy, where we put those four things ultimately determines the body of work that we build. So the message of die empty is not about every day. Are you completely spending yourself? It's about are you living your life each day and spending those four things in such a way that someday in the far distant future, you'll be able to point to a body of work and say, yes, that represents me and I can die empty of regret. I have no regrets about where I put my focus, my assets, my time, my energy. Um, Or are you just bouncing from thing to thing? Are you moving through life uh, uh, according to a pattern of convenience or by default, rather than designing your life and structuring systems and practices in your life to help you make sure that you're engaging in a meaningful way. And that's really the message of Die Empty is, listen, don't take your best work to your grave with you just because you operated by default instead of by design. Instead, be purposeful about how you structure your life so that you're getting your best work out of you and you're staying aligned and on a true course of contribution and you're building a body of work that you can be proud of. And this is sort of a, a sequel, isn't it, to The Accidental Creative? And, and I think you end that book with that story of, of, of the valuable land and, 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 and you walk away from this conversation with a friend, if I, if I have the story right, of these two words that you just can't get out of your head. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah, a, a friend was leading a meeting and he asked the question, what do you think is the most valuable land in the world? And we're all thinking, I don't know. So a bunch of people started throwing out guesses and you know, we were all wrong. We are guessing you know, oil fields in the Middle East and uh, gold mines of South Africa and all these things. And finally, he said, no, I think the most valuable land in the world is the graveyard because in the graveyard are buried all of the unwritten novels, all of the unlaunched businesses, all of the projects that people said, I'm going to get around to that tomorrow. I'll start that tomorrow. And one day their tomorrows ran out. Mm. 
And that day I went back to my office um, and I wrote two words on an index card. I put them in my notebook. I put them on the wall of my office. And those two words were die empty. Because I want to know that at the end of my life, I can point to the sum total of my efforts on this earth. And I can say, yes, that represents me. I don't want to take my best work to my grave with me. Um, And by the way, work, Jeff, isn't just your job. Work is any place you add value. So that's your family. It's how you treat the barista at Starbucks, right? Mm -hmm. It's how you spend your money. It's any place where you're creating value in your life where it didn't previously exist. That's work. And so when you sum up all of that work, all of those little deltas that you create through your efforts every day, at the end of your life, that will add up to a giant body of work, some kind of change that exists on this earth because you suck there. <laughs> and the question is, will that change represent what you really care about? Are you moving purposefully toward building a body of work every single day that uh, that you that you will care about, that will represent what you truly care about? That's the big question. And um, really at the end of it, that, that's really what that whole story inspired in me. And that's why I wrote those two words, yeah. die empty on, on the card. And that's obviously why I ended up writing a book called Die Empty. Now it would have been a lot easier for me after the accidental creative just to stay squarely in my lane and write about innovation or collaboration or some of these things that my corporate clients ask for. And honestly, that's a far more uh, financially secure place for me to go with my writing. But I I just, this message was burning in my bones. And I, you know, I just realized this is really the thing that that I need to write next. And so I'm I'm glad I did, regardless of the consequences, I'm (laughs) glad that this is the direction that I went next. And you say in the book that brilliant work, and I'm quoting here, is forged by those who consistently approach their days with urgency and diligence. And you go into detail about adopting this mindset of urgent diligence. And I was wondering if you could expound on that a little bit. Yeah, well, urgency and diligence are the foundation of of hustle, right? If you want to describe hustle, I think you could say to hustle means to approach your work with urgency and diligence, meaning it's it's urgent right now. I need to get about it. I don't have time to dilly dally. Um, and then diligence, meaning I'm I'm approaching it with a craftsman like mindset. So I'm approaching with urgency and diligence. That for me is the foundation of hustle. And I think I also write in that same section that hustle is the best insurance policy against lifelong regret. Mm-hmm. Right? If you're bringing your yourself fully to what you want to do or what you think is important in your life um, and you're, you're hustling, in other words, you're engaging with urgency and diligence, that's a great insurance policy against lifelong regret. You don't have to look back and say, what if I had tried a little harder? What if I had brought myself more fully to what I do? A lot of people with their kids, they don't hustle with their kids. You know, they're not hustling with their families. And so, they wake up 20 years from now and and their kids never call them and they you know they can't seem to get everybody together and you know cats in the cradle is is in the back of their head all the time right <laughs> that song's playing in the back of their head mm. and they're thinking why didn't i approach my family relationships with urgency and diligence why didn't i treat them as if they were urgent because this is the only day i have with my children that i know for sure maybe i'll have tomorrow i don't know right mm. so and the same with our job why am i not when i'm at my job approaching my life with urgency and diligence because this is the only chance I know I have to bring myself fully? Can I lay my head down tonight satisfied with the work I did today? And that doesn't mean spending myself fully every single day. It doesn't mean I I lay down exhausted every night. What it means is, am I bringing myself appropriately for the circumstances? So am I pouring myself fully into what's in front of me? And then occasionally, you know, obviously you have to redirect and do something else. You never get everything done every day. That's not the point. The point is, are you bringing yourself fully to whatever is in front of you on a daily basis. Now, you've helped us define 
define what you mean by work as anything to which you can add value. And you go on to suggest that there are basically three kinds of work. And I'd like for you to, if you would, define each of those and, and what putting them together looks like for us. Yeah. So, so the three kinds of work, I mean, we, we tend to think of work as this giant mess of obligations and tasks and priorities and, and activities, but really work can be parsed into three types. Um, the first type is making and making is the actual doing of the work, right? These are the things we think of when we think of, uh, of, of work, you know, it's the, it's checking items off your list. Mm. So if you're a designer, it's pushing pixels. If you're a writer, it's writing words. If you're a manager, it's actually sitting down and developing this, you know, whatever it is that you develop as a manager that you're accountable for. Um, the second type is, is mapping and mapping is the strategic planning that we have to do. So it's the work before the work, right? So you, you map and then you actually sit down and you make, meaning you do, you execute your plans. Those are the two types of things we tend to think of when we think of work. There's a third kind of work that we often neglect and don't think about. And that is what I call meshing. Meshing is all the work between the work. It's all of the ineffable stuff that ties our work together. So it's uh, things like developing your curiosity, developing your skills. It's um, identifying your through line and your work and tying all of your activities back to that through line or the core why that drives your best work. It's all of those kinds of things that we tend to sometimes neglect and not think about because they they aren't really the tactile parts of our job. And yet they're just as important as mapping and making. And so depending on which, you know, how well we engage in each of those three, we can fall into four different productivity profiles is mm -hmm. what I call them. Um, four different profiles that we can fall into so if you're really great at mapping and making, but you're not meshing, you're not doing the little ineffable things that tie your work together, develop your skills and position you to be more effective tomorrow, I call that the driver. And the driver is very obsessed with results, uh, today's results, but they're not doing the things that are preparing them for the work that's coming tomorrow. They're not developing themselves, pursuing their curiosity, all of those things. So mm -hmm. they become decreasingly effective over time because they're not sharpening their ability to engage in tomorrow's challenges. Um, of course, you could be a, a great mapper and a great mesher, meaning that you, you strategically plan and you're doing all the ineffable stuff, but you're not actually sitting down to make. You're not actually <laughs> pr producing anything. And I call that the dreamer. And the dreamer is a person who loves to talk about projects. They love to talk about their ideas, but they never actually do anything. And I'm sure we both know Several people who would fall into that profile, right? <laughs> oh, me from time to time. Yeah, well, me too. Yeah, from time to time, sure. And we all tend to gravitate toward one or more of these at various times, mm -hmm. right? Um, the third the third type is that you could be great at making and great at meshing, but you're not mapping, meaning you don't have a strategic plan. You're not operating according to the conviction of a strategic plan. And that person is what I call the drifter. They bounce from thing to thing, from project to project, uh, but they never they they often don't complete them because they're always moving to the shiny new thing. They're drifting. Um, they don't have the the conviction of a strategic plan to keep them focused on an end objective. And then the final profile is when you are mapping, making, and meshing simultaneously. That's what I call the developer. Mm. And the developer is the person who is um, developing their skills, they're weaving their opportunities together to help them take advantage of new opportunities, um, but they're also doing a great job of mapping, meaning they have a strategic plan, they're also making, they're diligent about doing the work and they're meshing, they're developing their skills to prepare them to meet tomorrow's objective. So that's ultimately, that's the, the way that we want to be as a developer, we want to be, to fit into that productivity profile um, ultimately. But all of us, I think, tend to gravitate toward one or the other at the 
expense of being a developer. And I, I tend to be a drifter, by the way. And that's where I probably uh, most identify with. A little bit dreamer, but I think drifter more often than not. Uh, this this conversation is uh, quickly shaping up to be the most content-filled podcast interview I think <laughs> I've ever done. So thank you for that, Todd. I, and and, and you know, there's so much packed into this book. There really, really is. Chapter 3 starts us off in launching into the, what you call the seven deadly sins of mediocrity with a chapter yeah. after that dedicated to each. Uh, and I think it's important before we get into that to point out that nobody sets out to be mediocre, do they? What are some of the ways that it manages to creep in? Yeah, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I can't wait to crank out a steaming pile of crap today, right? <laughs> nobody does that. And yet mediocrity is something we choose one decision at a time. It's one moment at a time. We choose to abdicate our contribution. Um, and there are seven forces that come against us. And because we've been very content dense, I'll just give a broad overview of these. But um, they, I, I put them in the order a, B, C, D, E, F, G, just to make them memorable. I mean, they obviously were different terms when I when I discovered them in the course of the research, but um, to make them memorable, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, aimlessness, which is a lack of definition for your work. It's a lack of understanding the true battles that you're trying to fight every day. The countermanding principle there is, of course, to define your battles, to define your productive passion, the through line that ties your work together. B is for boredom. And boredom is when, you know, we, we become intellectually disengaged. We're not following our curiosity and we're not developing our minds. So the countermanding principle there is to be fiercely curious. And in the book, I give some practices to help all of us be more curious in how we ask questions and push into those uncomfortable places where great ideas lie. Um, C is for comfort. And, uh, you know, I, I, in the accidental creative, I wrote that the love of comfort is frequently the enemy of greatness. And I believe that when we pursue comfort, uh, it often comes at the expense of great work. You cannot pursue comfort and great work simultaneously. You may experience comfort along the way. That's fine. But you cannot pursue both of them at the same time. Eventually, you will have to choose between what's comfortable and and um, and doing great work. Those who do consistently great work are the people who choose to do the right thing, even though it's the uncomfortable thing. Mm. So we, we cannot. So we have to commit to an ethic of innovation and personal growth. We have to step outside of our comfort zone. Um, D is delusion. Uh, delusion is when we live with a false narrative or a false sense of ourselves. We have to know ourselves and understand who we are and what we have to offer authentically, not who we wish we were, but who we really are if we want to pour ourselves fully into our work. Um, e is for ego. There are people who would rather drive the Titanic to the bottom of the ocean than admit they might have hit an iceberg, right? So, we have to countermand ego by being confidently adaptable. We have to be willing to listen to disconfirming information. We have to be willing to bend ourselves around that disconfirming information and not allow ego to cause us to become inflexible or we will miss opportunities. Um, F is for fear. Fear is when the perceived consequences of failure outweigh the perceived benefits of success. And when that happens, it paralyzes us. It paralyzes, keeps us in the corner, prevents us from acting. And so in order to countermand that, we have to find our voice. We have to take small strategic risks every day to step into those uncomfortable places, not knowing what the result might be, but knowing that on the other side of it, we will understand ourselves better and be able to 
bring ourselves more fully to our work. Or as my, my friend Thad Cockrell says, we have to walk into dark rooms and turn the light on. That's what we have to do every single day. Um, and then G is guardedness. And this is what happens when we become closed off to others, when our world becomes a smaller and smaller set of concentric circles. As we become more successful, Jeff, it's easy to close ourselves off from other people and to not listen to disconfirming information or worse, to completely close ourselves off from the inspiration and and the kinds of challenge that come from deep interpersonal relationships. So we have to stay connected and we have to have probing conversations. We need mirrors in our life to reflect back to us what they see so that we can understand how we actually are being perceived and how we are interacting in the world rather than living with self-delusion. Um, and so that we can stay on a, a more productive and uh, true course toward where we want to be and build a body of work we can be proud of. Now, I want to go back and dig in just a little bit deeper deeper into, into one of those, if we can, okay. Todd. And that one uh, is one that's near and dear to me, and it's comfort. And you know, I think of words mm. like security and, and things of that nature. And, and I, I'm the kind of guy that uh, has spent much of my life working for someone else and having the steady paycheck and the, the benefits and all these different things and thinking of that as security when really it's it's anything but when it can be taken away from you so easily. Right. And, and, right. and foregoing the other end of that, which, it, which is freedom oftentimes, Chapter three digs into comfort, and, and you make a statement that is uh, very eerily similar to kind of the the why that I base this podcast on. The show is is based on the belief that intentional and consistent reading is one of the keys to success in, in business and in life, because yes. doing so, I believe, leads to accelerated growth. And you state that growth doesn't happen by accident. It's the result of, and these two words come back again, intentional effort and consistent progress. We, so many of us struggle with goal setting, I think. And that's why I wanted to, to touch on this. You lay out in that chapter, three kinds of goals that will help you grow. And there's step, sprint, and stretch. And I got so much out of this and I would love it if, oh. if you could take a moment to kind of break those down and, and define those for us. Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, a, a step goal is a goal that we set for ourselves that it's essentially a daily goal, right? It's a goal that we're going to hit today. It's a, it's a short term, short art goal that we know we can hit. Um, you know, a lot of the problem with goal setting a lot of times, Jeff, is that we set these big audacious goals, especially around the first of the year. We say, oh, I'm going to run a marathon in May, right? Or something. Mm -hmm. We set these, and maybe that's a perfectly reasonable goal. I, I don't know. I'm not a runner. So, you know, <laughs> I'm going to run a marathon in two weeks, right? Or something. We set this big audacious goal that's absolutely crazy with no way whatsoever that we could possibly hit the goal. Well, what, what, we need to do instead is say, okay, where do we where do we want to be? What is our stretch goal? So where where do we ultimately want to be? And then we can back our way up and say, okay, now I need to set a sprint goal, which is going to be a series of step goals. And that's going to progress me toward where I want to be. So once you set your sprint goal, then you can back up and say, okay, what are the steps I need to do to get there? And you can, they, they all nest within one another. So it, it breaks the goal setting process down into very manageable chunks so that you can measure your progress. One of the reasons people don't hit goals is because they have no way of metering their progress, no way of knowing, am I making progress or not? So when we, when we nest our goals like that, it helps us have milestones along the way, helps us experience success along the way. I mean, to, to your point about reading, you know, if you set a goal that I'm going to read a hundred books this year, well, 
okay, that's great. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I would question maybe the wisdom of just breezing through that many books, right? Maybe right. it's better to pick a hand, you know, uh, maybe 20 books and really delve into them. But, but regardless, if you're going to do 100 books this year, you can say, okay, well, I need to read about two books a week, right? right? So let's say the average book is 200 pages. I can pretty easily and quickly figure out how many pages I'm going to need to read a day, which also lets me know about how many hours or whatever per day or week I'm going to need to set in order to do it. That's how step sprint and stretch goals work. And they nest within one another and they give us very... Um, clear and concise metrics to measure along the way. It reminds me of the conversation I had with Robert D. Smith early in the life of the podcast. He wrote a book called 20,000 Days mm. and Counting, and he, and he really stresses uh, how we as a society think of our lives in years when we should be thinking of them in days. Yes. And and you know, if you want to write a book, don't be overwhelmed by the idea of writing a book, but think about what you can do in 15 minutes today to, you know, and, and, and write out your chapter titles or something, you know, and, and yes. really break it down into manageable chunks. Uh, you uh, go on in the Live Empty chapter, chapter 11, kind of along these same lines, talking about the importance of thinking of and reviewing work and priorities, not on a weekly basis, but on a daily basis. Why, why daily? Well, because I, I don't want to get too far off course, right? And, um, you know, a week is fine, a week a week between checkpoints, but, um, you know, even better if every day you can say, what's going on today? What is going to be in my life today? Because I may not have known yesterday or the day before that something was going to be happening today. So what's going to be happening today and how can I bring myself fully to what I do today? So empty, E-M-P-T-Y in that chapter stands for ethic mission, people, tasks, and you. So if you sit down for 10 or 15 minutes every day and you say, what is my operating ethic today, which we address in the chapter on Know Yourself? What is the operating ethic that I'm going to bring to everything I do today? What is my mission? What are my battles? What are the things I will absolutely die on the hill of today? People. Who are the people I'm going to interact with and how can I close loops today? How can I bring energy to those relationships? What would that look like for me to empty myself today in my relationships? Tasks, what are the tasks that must be done today in order for me to count today as a success? And then you, what is it today that I'm going to do to develop myself, to build into myself, to sharpen myself so that I'm preparing myself for tomorrow's battles today? I, I for one, just want to say I love the use of acronyms and alliteration and <laughs> the ABCDE. FG, I just I love that. I had a pastor once who 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 loved alliteration, and you talk about being able to send a message home and be memorable and have it stick into your brain and not forget it. So thank you for doing that. Well, it's it's helpful. I mean, I, I sometimes I feel like okay, is it is it overdone? And and you know, it, it certainly can be. But yeah. the thing is, like. It's it's helpful to remember things. It's never as sim- I mean, the acronym itself is never as simple. As, I mean, the the research never is as it does it never comes out as you know. Oh wow, it happens to be A B C D E F G, right? <laughs> right. But it's just so much easier to say guardedness instead of. Um, Isolation, which was actually the original word was isolation, mm. right? That, rather than guardedness. Yeah. Uh, but we change it to guardedness just to make it more memorable because when you're isolated, you are. You're guarding yourself from others, right? So um, anyway, so yeah. So uh, thank you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> and I think going this may be going back to uh, Accidental Creative, the, the first book, but I think I heard an interview. You, you tell somebody at first the the fresh acronym was like FREST or something like that. Is yeah, that right? that's exactly right. And my editor said, right now you have FREST and FREST is not very memorable. Maybe we should change, change time to hours. And I said, okay, that's great. Whatever. I mean, the concepts are the same, regardless of what you call them. The concepts yeah. are the same. If you can make them more memorable, I think all the better. And in the last chapter of the book, and, I, and I'm confessing I haven't actually read the last chapter, but as, as you were sharing here, I'm looking at this heading, stop trying to be great, just 
be great. Yeah. So I had a friend um, who was sharing the story with um, this of this ride he was taking with his son. They were he, he got the sense that his son was maybe starting to um, feel a little bit of pressure to uh, you know become known and, so, and maybe you know be be really great. And so he said, "Well, hold on. Let's just say let's let's think about this. How many great people throughout history can you name?" And so they, they said, "Let's just start with U.S. presidents, right?" So they got they got about halfway there, halfway the U.S. presidents. And then they just started naming great business leaders and they got to, you know, probably close to a hundred people and they, they kind of hit the wall. They couldn't really think of anybody else. And so he said, so, so you're saying what you're saying, what you're telling me is um, that you are trying to be number 101 on that list. Is that what you're telling me? Of all the people throughout history who have been great, we can name maybe a hundred people that come to mind immediately. And you're telling me you want to be number 101. <laughs> and uh, he said, listen, instead of worrying about being perceived as great, instead of worrying about being the greatest in your field, or your industry, just find something to do and then just be great at that. And just settle for loving what you do, for pouring yourself into it and becoming as great as you can at what you do. And you know what? Down the road, if somebody recognizes you, that's great. But don't stop trying to be great. Just be great at what you do. And then if people recognize it, fantastic. If they don't recognize it, that's not your problem. It's not your job to build a legacy. Your job is to make those little decisions along the way that build a body of work you can be proud of. And then somebody else will backward engineer that into a legacy at some point. But that's not your job. Your job is just to do every single day to pour yourself into what you do. Well, we've managed to cover uh, quite a bit of material in a, in a relatively short period of time. But before I move on to some other questions, uh, Todd, is there anything else that you'd like to share from the book that we haven't covered yet? Yeah, I just I think the the most important thing, Jeff. Again, is just if if you don't think about anything out of this interview other than this, just realize that today you are building a body of work. This is not a rehearsal for your life. This is not a chance for you to audition for a better life at some point. Right? This is your life. This is your opportunity today. Are you spending your focus, your assets, your time, and your energy in a way that you will be proud of later? If you do nothing else other than sit down every day and ask yourself that question, you're going to be far. <laughs> ahead of the game. Mm. Well, if you had to narrow down all the leadership lessons you've learned to one central theme over the course of your career and the opportunity cons to consult with businesses, what would you say that is if you had to pick just one? Um, oh, wow. Just one. <laughs> um, okay. So here's the thing. I, I think I believe firmly in the principle that the leader gets to take the most arrows. Mm. Um, defend your team to the death. Mm. That's probably the principle. Um, the, the, the fastest path to um, irrelevance as a leader is selling out your team. It's throwing your team under the bus. Mm. You have to defend your team to the death and you have to be willing to go first and take the most arrows. And if your team sees you doing that consistently, they will follow you anywhere. But if they see you selling them out or if they sense that you have some other objective in mind other than just doing what's best for the team, um, you will you will be on the fast track to, uh, to irrelevance as a leader. The best way to know if you're a leader is to turn around and see if anybody's following you. If nobody's following you, then you have a title, but you're not a leader. I think of all the leadership lessons that I've learned in my career, Todd, that one just took the number one position. <laughs> uh, what role would you say, uh, Todd, intentional and consistent reading has played in your career and your success? Because I'm, I'm assuming that you do uh, a certain amount of reading. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It, uh, seriously, and that's one of the reasons I was, I was thrilled to do this podcast interview. Um, that, that has been the single biggest practice in my life over the course of the last, I'd say probably decade and a half. That's been the single biggest practice in my life that has been transformed to me, to my life, to my relationships, to my 
uh, effectiveness as a leader. Um, I have the, the very first thing I do every morning is I pour a cup of coffee. I grab my breakfast and I go to my home office and I, I read, I study for about an hour, hour and a half. And I've been doing that for years and years and years and years. And I read and I write and I think, and I think about how what I'm reading applies to the work I'm doing. And it has been absolutely transformative mm-hmm. to my life and my work. And I agree a hundred percent that consistent, sustained, disciplined study and reading over the course of time, communing with great minds, as mm-hmm. Stephen Sample calls it over time will absolutely transform your life, transform your work. There's just no two ifs, ands, or buts about it. I mean, it just will happen. You you must do this if you want to be effective. Well, that begs the question then, if, if you don't mind, if you'll indulge us, a couple of books that you've read in the last, say, year or two that have had a great impact on you and maybe maybe why or how they impacted you. Sure, absolutely. Um, okay, so I'll, I'll give you my, my obvious ones that um, have impacted me and then, uh, or maybe, maybe they're not so obvious, but these are, these are sort of like more contemporary, right, books. So mm. the one book that I think everybody who has a creative function and is trying to do anything unique in the world absolutely should read. And it's maybe, it might very possibly be my favorite book of all time. So I know that's setting a pretty high bar, <laughs> but it might be my favorite book of all time is a book called Born Standing Up by Steve Martin. Okay. Steve Martin, the comedian. Um, well, I shouldn't say the comedian, Steve Martin, the performance artist, because he's not only a comedian, he writes screenplays. He is now touring with his bluegrass band playing banjo, right? I mean, it's, it, this guy has done unbelievable stuff. He's produced ama- an amazing body of work over time. And, um, but, but the, the, book born standing up is his journey of finding his voice as a stand-up artist and and the all of the ups and downs of peaks and troughs and everything that he went through in that process the successes and the failures and one of the greatest lines in the book and i think i even included this as a quote in die empty um he said at one point i spent 18 years doing stand-up comedy 10 of those years were spent learning my craft four of those years spent perfecting my craft and four of those years in wild success he said i set out for comedic genius and fame fell on me as a byproduct product. The Mm. course was more plotting than heroic, right? (laughs) And I think anybody who's trying to do something remarkable, if you just read this book and you look at his journey and you can recognize yourself on that path and you can recognize, listen, here's a guy who was about to give up when he was 30 years old because of an arbitrary deadline he had set. And then his break came and he became this comedic genius we know today, Mm. right? We never know as we're working, when those opportunities are going to come. But we have to recognize that we only are able to spot opportunity if we've been doing the diligent work to prepare ourselves. And that doesn't even mean we can leverage the opportunity. Just to spot the opportunity means you have to prepare yourself in advance to know what an opportunity looks like. So um, that is a fantastic book, highly recommended. Um, Another one I read is by uh, a guy named Cal Newport, who I think is doing some of the most fresh thinking on deep work and um, and and some of this stuff related to, to career and passion and all that. It's called So Good They Can't Ignore You, um, which by the way is also <laughs> borrowed from a Steve Martin quote. So it, yeah. it all goes back to Steve Martin. But um, the, the point of this book is, listen, stop worrying about following your passion. Instead, identify something you can do and then pour yourself into it and redirect as you go. And um, Cal did a great job. I, I started reading this book on a, on a flight to Istanbul. I picked it up. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll read a little bit of it and then we'll see where it goes. I finished the book and then like reread it on the trip. I mean, I reread it, you know, I finished the book on the flight and then I reread it. It was just, it was a great book. So, so good. They can't ignore you is an outstanding book. Highly recommend it. And then um, a book by 
um, Clayton Christensen, who wrote The Innovator's Dilemma, um, how will you measure your life? And he says, we all need operating theories to live by. Um, we need a theory to guide our, our behavior and our activity every day. And so he offers some thoughts about how to develop the kind of theory that you need in order to guide your life and your choices and, and live a life that uh, is a life of purpose. And so the, the ultimate question he asks is, how will you measure your life? Which I think is a, a really important question for all of us to ask. Well, very good suggestions. And, and, and I'm happy to say that None of those three have been recommended by previous guests. So we've got three brand new books to read. That's awesome. Oh, perfect. <laughs> well, before we wrap up, Todd, let us know where we can find you, your website, your Twitter uh, handle, uh, and any maybe uh, new projects coming up you may be working on that you'd want others to know about. Sure. Yeah. You can reach me at toddhenry.com. That's the best way to reach me. Uh, if you want to you know, interact with my writing, you can get to anything else from there, um, including Accidental Creative, the Accidental Creative Podcasts, all the things that I do there as well. Um, if you want to know more about the book, Die Empty, you can go to dieempty.com. And uh, hey, just because I know that uh, your listeners are readers and love to delve into the books, uh, we created a, a book club for Die Empty. And originally it was just going to be for people who pre-ordered the books. We had about a thousand people, I think, who had had pre-ordered and registered their mm. book um, to be part of this book club, but we just opened it up. So um, anybody okay. can join it now. So if you go to dieempty.com slash join, um, you can read along with us. You can ask questions. I then turn those questions into a 30 to 60 minute podcast every week that's only available to people in the book club. So um, it's just kind of a way to enter. And I'm rereading the book as well. And I'm sharing my insights as I reread it and some of the things that I'm learning along the way as I reread and, and kind of process it with the community as well. I'm so glad you shared that because I'm going to be joining that today. And I'm actually, cons <laughs> I'm considering, uh, I'm in a mastermind group, a relatively small one, about four or five guys. And I'm, and I'm mm -hmm. seriously considering recommending this book for our next read. And so we'll be we'll be sure to incorporate the uh, the website aspect of that as well as we do. And I want to certainly hi highly recommend to your accidental creative podcast. I think I mentioned this to you in, in our email exchanges that I first started listening to podcasts back in about 2007 or so. Mm. I think I think you started what in 2005 was it? 2005. Five? Yeah, it's been almost a decade. It's hard to believe. And the funny thing is, I thought at the time I'm so late to this podcast thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, yours was one of the first podcasts that I discovered. Uh, no pun intended intended accidentally. And I uh, just really got into it and, and, and still listen today. And uh, sometimes uh, I'm juking uh, with you for position in the career charts, but that's another that's another uh, <laughs> topic for another day. Uh, Todd, thank you very much for being a part of the, the podcast. It was so much a pleasure having you on and the book I cannot recommend highly enough. Well, thank you, Jeff, and thanks for the great work you continue to do. And, uh, you know, you said some kind things about my podcast. I'll say the same. When I'm out on my long walks, your podcast is a staple. It's one of the ones I listen to along with a handful of others. So thanks for the work that you do. I have to completely agree with Seth Godin, who I quoted at the beginning of this conversation, one of the best books so far this year. Again, it's called Die Empty. If you'd like to let Todd know what you thought about today's episode and the insights that he shared, you can send him a tweet. It's at Todd Henry on Twitter. Again, that's at Todd Henry on Twitter. To comment on this episode, just go to readtoleadpodcast.com forward slash 017 for episode 17. Again, readtoleadpodcast.com slash 017. 
That's also where you'll find the show notes for this episode that includes all the resources that Todd and I talked about today. If you've yet to rate the podcast, I'd like for you to do that soon. We're trying to reach 100 five-star ratings and reviews by the end of this month, and we're getting really close. Now, this helps folks find the podcast, makes it a little more visible in iTunes. And if you happen to give it a five-star rating and leave a review so I know who you are, I'll be sure and mention you by name in an upcoming episode as a small way of saying thanks, like... Mr. Aussie 65, also Ruben Martinez, Awesome Kickflip 123, and Kay Landwehr, all leaving five-star ratings and reviews in the last few days. To leave a review of your own, just go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash iTunes. That's readtoleadpodcast.com slash iTunes. And I haven't mentioned this in a while, but if you're on Twitter, one very simple way you can share about the podcast with those who follow you is simply by going to readtoleadpodcast.com slash Twitter. There you'll find a tweet already written out for you, making it easy for you to share your love of this show. Again, it's readtoleadpodcast.com forward slash Twitter. Well, that'll do it for this week. I hope very much to see you again next time on the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com and chat with other members at facebook.com slash readtoleadnation. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. If I were a rich man, idle dum All day long I'd biddy biddy bum. If I were a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work hard. All day long I'd biddy biddy bum. If I were a wealthy man.